Heavenly Father, we just invite your presence. In fact, Lord, we know that you are here. We declare it, Lord. And we ask, Holy Spirit, please uh, be with us and uh, bring us to a focus, Lord, that our ears will be attentive to hear what you are saying to the church, even through this teaching tonight. And so, Lord, we want to commit this time to you. Lead us, direct us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we come back to this teaching of Kingdom 101, I think it's good. Let's start with a little review of where we left off in the last session. We spoke about the law, and we spoke about actually precisely the law of the Christ. We know that Jesus came declaring that He upholds this law. I gave you five statements. In rightly interpreting His law, Jesus actually didn't make it easier. He actually made it more challenging. That's the first thing we notice about this Sermon on the Mount. And as we look at that, we realize we are usually very satisfied with the minimum. But Jesus wants us to go for the maximum. The third thing is, we always tend to look for a method. But Jesus goes straight for the motivation. The fourth to realize is our dependence is on our flesh. But if you want to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, it will have to be by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing is that the Spirit's work is not only evangelistic, i.e. bringing us into salvation, but it is also enabling towards the eschatological entrance into the kingdom. So Jesus speaks about the coming of the kingdom. He speaks also about the entering of a kingdom. And it would do us well to understand that distinction. Because many believers are still a little bit confused. Are we in the kingdom or do we need to go still into the kingdom? You will find that in a lot of Jesus' teaching, He speaks about this entrance into the kingdom. Now, of course, the entire law can be summed up in this one big word called love. But as we titled the last teaching, Just Love Law, it doesn't mean that you just use this word love means, you know, it wins everything, huh? you have already solved everything because the definition of love in our day and age is extremely, extremely questionable. Okay? And I want to challenge you to be aware that you will keep hearing this word love across many different groups, religious settings, and belief systems. There's going to be sort of like a normalization or making love the common denominator across everything and everyone. So that if we can all agree that it is love, then can you see we are not very different from one another, so we can thus coexist and believe in the one same thing. Okay, I want you to catch the nuance in that huh? because it will help you be more aware and more discerning. After that, Jesus moves from this very general principle and as a good teacher, He gives specific examples. And He gives six of these because He says, look, I came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And you already know that the word fulfill or that phrase to fulfill the law is a rabbinic idiom. To fulfill the law means to interpret it correctly, to understand it rightly for the purpose of obedience. 
Now, if that is correct and that you agree with that, then therefore to destroy the law, to abolish the law, would thus mean to misinterpret it, to have a wrong understanding which might result in what we call misguided obedience. Or I use this term, misobedience. Not necessarily disobedience, but a misinterpretation would cause us to have misobedience. Now that's scary because we think we are obeying, but actually we are not doing it rightly. Jesus goes into these six examples and this would be the, you have heard it said, but I say to you. That pairing introduces these six examples. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. Now that would refer to the interpretation of the Pharisees. But I say to you, in other words, this is the king talking, the Messiah. This is the correct interpretation. Now you have heard that it was said. Now to the Pharisees, the oral tradition by that time was something that was really important. It was seen as if it was divine also. So not just the written law, but the oral tradition that was passed down, that would be very important for the Jews. But Jesus says, you have heard that it was said this way, that's the oral tradition, but this is what I'm saying to you. It's not just any old tradition, this is the word from the king. And you will find across all six examples, from a pharisaical point of view, they don't want to break that law, so they would set safeguards externally. We call it fencing. So they, they put one fence around this law, make an, a, a, broad, a wider fence so that you don't get as close to breaking this law. And these safeguards, although they meant well, later on became extremely laborious for the people because no one was able to keep all these safeguards. But Jesus says, I say to you, and as we have already observed, he goes, not the external, he gets into the internal motivations. He examines the intent as well as the heart. So as an introduction, I thought this would be good for us to review as we get into example number one from Rabbi Jesus. And if you know this passage, it's dealing with the dangers of anger. And hence the title for this evening's message is Anger Danger. I mean, visibly it would have been a nice, you know, words to look at because you can pronounce it anger danger or anger danger. But I don't know why English is such a weird language, right? It has to be anger danger. Do you know an angry person? Are you an angry person? Have you experienced someone's anger? And I think if you ponder for a moment, I'm sure we would have come across someone like that. Or maybe, if you want to be honest, perhaps you struggle with anger. And is there one here listening to this message that you have never been angry before? I see guilty looks all over the place, right? And so, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm never angry. No, no, we've all been angry, yes? It's, it's whether you have a short fuse or you have a long fuse. And for some people, it takes a while before they explode. But those with short fuse, huh? wow, boom, here, boom, there, boom, there. You know? <laughs> Always exploding somewhere. We need to imagine and ask ourselves, or maybe try to recollect. When you are angry, what do you say? How do you act? What do you do? And is it not true that the tendency for many of us is usually we will 
get angry first and do what we need to do and say what we have to say and want to say and then later we justify it. Oh, you made me angry. Right? If you didn't do this, I wouldn't have responded this way. If you didn't say this, then I wouldn't have shouted back at you, right? Or if you had just done what I told you to do, I wouldn't have thrown this table at you. It's all your fault. And we blame everything. We blame everyone. There was an article once in the Straits Time, and the headline read like this, With the hot weather comes hot temper. Right? And now Singapore has been of late, even hotter, right? So does it mean we are getting angrier? How about road rage? Singapore motorists, I have observed, and I'm one of them, so I'm guilty too. We are rather impatient, don't you think? We blame our anger on something. We attribute it to something. I'm tired, that's why I'm angry. I'm stressed, that's why I'm angry. And that's what the passage is dealing with this evening. So let's look at Matthew Chapter 5, 21 to 26. And let's read this and unpack this along the way. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on your way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. If we know this passage, we would know that Jesus was drawing from one of the Ten Commandments. And specifically, He was talking about the Sixth Commandment, which we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, You shall not kill. Or more accurately, you shall not murder. And so let's look at this Old Testament reference a little bit. It refers to premeditated murder. And we know it draws the penalty of death. For accidental or unintentional death, cities of refuge, they are provided. So if it was an accident, you didn't intend it, The one who caused it can run to a city of refuge and wait for the correct time where he can be judged correctly and then be set free. But we need to know what the governing principle of this one commandment is found. We find it in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, where God declares, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man, whoever sheds man's blood. By man, his blood shall be shed. And here comes the reason. For in the image of God, he made man. Can you see that one reason there? The big reason, that's the principle. Why does God forbid the taking of another person's life? Premeditated murder, cold-blooded. Because... 
This person is made in the image of God. Hold that thought just for a little while. Let's look at the cultural context as we get back to Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus says, you have heard that if you murder, then you are going to be in trouble, right? But I'm saying something here to you. That whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now immediately you can see that Jesus was building to a, to a climax. He says, look, the moment if you're just angry, now you be careful because you're going to be in danger of, not yet. But it could come really quickly if you're not careful. You're going to be in danger of judgment. Somehow, somewhere, there's going to be some judgment. Oh, you don't control that? Raka. Now, if, if it comes out of your mouth, now Raka is an Aramaic curse. It can stand for you empty-headed. You brainless blockhead. You son of a motherless goat. Yeah, it's, it's an Aramaic curse. So in our local context, would be you, you kayu, you, you gundu. These are things that slip out of our mouth actually quite easily, right? So Jesus builds upon that and he says, look, if you don't look after that seed of anger or that, that, that you know, birth of anger that starts coming and you, your mouth starts to open, you're not only in danger of judgment now, you are in danger of the counsel. So he goes one step further. You might be hauled in front of the Sanhedrin or you know, the group of people who are passed that judgment upon you. You will literally be in that danger of that kind of a consequence. Now, if you don't stop there, then you continue and he says, you know, you, you fool. And you know, we've gone through this word. The word fool is from the Greek moros, where we get the English word moron. Right? So it could be you're, you're useless, you're, you're stupid. But in the context, in its cultural context, it can also refer to someone when he's foolish and stupid. You are actually uh, pointing out that you might have loose morals. You might have questionable values. I begin to judge your entire character by just calling you that name. And Jesus in that, that third statement then says, you be careful because if you don't control yourself, you're gonna be, you might be in danger of hell fire. Whoa, this is serious. Now, we can say Jesus was trying to perhaps make a, a big statement, and also he, he sort of stretches it to the extreme, and we will explore that later. But I think that message that Jesus is trying to share with all of us is that if you don't check yourself, you don't know when you will stop. If you don't check yourself, you don't know what you will do. You don't know what you will say. You don't even know how it will end. Now, think about it for a while. Have we not been in that kind of a situation before? Where it's just too late to retrieve any word that you have uttered or shouted. It's just too late to reverse any action and all we have would be a regret. The first example of this in the Bible we see with the picture of Cain and Abel, if you remember, right? Abel offered a good sacrifice. Cain was upset about that. He was not just upset, he was angry. Because the Bible says in Genesis 4 verse 6, God asks Cain, why are you angry? Why? 
And he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, and sometimes we think, if you do not do well, could be the offering that he was, he was uh, uh, supposed to offer. Right? If you offer well, won't, don't you think you'll be accepted? But I believe this phrase can also have a double meaning to say, look, if you control well, if you nip this at this point, it's going to be all right. But if you don't do well in this situation at this point, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But this is God's desire for His people. You should rule over it. Sin should not have rulership over us. We should rule over it. Sounds familiar, that phrasing? Sin should have no dominion over us. And we thank God that in Christ today, sin has no dominion. You can say that the, the people of Jesus' time, before you know, He gave of Himself, there might have been some reason or excuse, whichever word you want to use. Today, if you want to hold on to Paul's cross, friends, we have no excuse. Amen? And so, from a cultural perspective, if you're angry with someone, you begin to curse that person, call that person name. That society was known as an honor and a shame type of culture and society. And in the Orientals context, I think we understand this. It's like not giving someone face. And Jesus says, don't even go there. Don't express contempt. Because the moment you let it go, Contempt begins to come up against a person's intellect or a person's character. That's going to be dangerous ground. And if you put the principle of um, the sixth commandment with this, you do not express contempt or show contempt. We're not to do that. We're not to demean anyone because, what's the principle? Each person is made in the image of God. You've got to put these two things together. And that's what Jesus is saying to the people at that point in time. Every person is made in God's image. You may not agree. You may not like the person. You may look down on a certain person. But the moment you express contempt, you never know how that's going to end. So be careful, especially when you are starting to feel angry. You have to nip it as quickly as you can. Now some people will say, but I don't mean it, one. I mean, you know, we use this kayu, gundu, stupid. I don't mean it, one. The question we have to ask ourselves then, have you heard the tone of your voice? That's number one. Number two, if someone videoed you, have you seen the look on your face? Come on. You know what I'm talking about, right? You can say, well, why, are you, why, why are you so... Uh, every small thing you get so upset. We didn't hear our own tones. We didn't see our own face. And you know the saying, right? If looks could kill, I'll be dead already. And it is true. We don't have to kill anyone physically. But with our words, with our tone, with our eyes, the way we look, roll it. Huh? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about, right? And you know what the truth is? That if murder was not prohibited by law, there would be a lot of dead people all over the place. But because it is prohibited by law, and we know that it is not correct, and we're somewhat constrained, 
we use our tongues. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. If you don't even control that tongue and even your thoughts, it can come out to be callous action which can lead to murder. See, this is very consistent with um, the Apostle James in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He declares in that passage talking about the tongue, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Totally consistent. Jesus is saying something, obviously, you know, that is consistent because He wrote the law. He knows exactly what Scripture is all about. We are not supposed to kill someone because everyone is made in the image of God. You know, so does it mean that if we don't kill anyone physically, we can say anything we like to them? No, Jesus says no. You better reel it all the way in. Start with the motivations. Whatever you're saying to someone, you don't curse anyone because they are still made in the image of God. And the funny thing is we look at it and say, oh, but if we, if we violate this principle, you mean if I just call someone a name, we're liable for hellfire? Wow, a bit overdoing, don't you think? Huh? A bit kwatsang, right? Too heavy, you think? So no, let's, let's look at Scripture. Let's back up just two verses in James chapter 3, verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, if the tongue is set on fire by hell, then the consequences of a tireless tongue, I think, is adequately hellfire. I mean, we are letting Scripture interpret Scripture, don't you think? That we are not thrown into hellfire because of you know, what the Scripture says. I believe it is entirely by the grace of God. So if we look at it practically, we've got to ask ourselves, when we're angry uh, between husband and wife, how do we respond to one another? How are our words? Have we killed each other? Have we murdered each one's esteem or worth? How are parents and children? In us thinking that we love them and intending well and being frustrated and we can shout, we can scream, Tell them, it's for your good, you know? You think I like to do this, huh? You know, there's an article that says, you know, pushy parents will lead to depressed children. Do we need a research? I mean, put the money in my ministry. I will tell you that. Right? And we spend money on research just to tell you, the, the pushier you are, the more depressed your children. I forgot this is recorded. How about between Siblings. Rivalry, bullying. Think that's not bad enough? How about in the church? Name calling, rumors. Social media. When was the last time you rented on social media? Thinking that it's okay, you know? Put a pseudo name. Nobody knows it's you. Undercover. Do you think God doesn't know? Right? And we slime this person, we slime that person all under this guise of anonymity. That's why people are so brave today because they don't put their face there, although it's Facebook. 
I mean, Jesus is really getting right deep into that core, isn't it? So you see, if you don't deal with these things, you end up killing each other. And it is true. Those reports of bombings and all that, you know, whatever it is, it's, I can tell you, many of it is fueled by anger and hate. They start with calling names first, but it ends up with killing people. There's one clause, one phrase in this verse 22. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now some translations or some commentaries say that this was added in a little bit later. But I think it does give a good explanation to this. But we must be careful that we do not take these uh, three words and say, you see, without a cause. So if I have a cause, then I can be angry, lah. Uh, so if I have a cause, then I call you rakala. I can call you fool. I have a cause. So is this a loophole for us? Now, if you're looking for a loophole, you always find it. Because it's easy to justify why we do what we do or what, why we say what we say. And sometimes it's so easy to tell yourself, but it's true, huh? they deserve it. And we continue to call their names. You've heard of this one, right? The boy calls the brother, stupid. And the mother says, you can't call your brother stupid. Say sorry. And the boy says, I'm sorry you're stupid. <laughs> We've all heard this one, right? So we justify, we'll always find a cause. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is it a righteous cause? Is it a just cause? Is it righteous anger? Is it just cause? And I want to suggest to you, it's not quite as easy for us to discern sometimes, right? Because our hearts are deceitful in the first place. We can justify anything. But let's look at some examples of Jesus. He's the one. He's got righteous anger and he would be the one to know how to administer that, as well as the apostles. So Jesus uses the words, you hypocrites. He uses exactly the same word, you fools and you blind guides. No, he gets worse. You whitewashed tombs. You serpents. You brood of vipers. You made my father's house into a den of thieves. I mean, it's like Jesus. Hello. Did you just hear yourself? You, you, you just said, don't use those words. But you're coming with this whole list. Now, Paul is not any better, actually, you know. Right? He calls the people, you fools. And then for... Some of the Judaizers, he says, look, don't listen to these dogs. And dog is a derogatory term in that culture. James, to the people of the church, he says, you adulterers and you adulteresses. How do we understand some of these things? Now, if you notice, Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother. All right, so let's look at this with his brother point first. First thing to note. This is in the context of family, of the church, of believers. So let's look at these things within the church context. When did Jesus use these words or these phrases, Paul and James too? Firstly, it's usually directed at the religious leaders and the teachers to expose sin, to expose hypocrisy and deception. So, in that context, Jesus was very, very clear. He will not let it rest. Because his job 
is to expose sin. Secondly, from Paul's point of view, it was for the purpose of loving and protecting the flock from false teaching. It is to warn and to wake the people up and for the purpose of pointing people back to God and His ways. And so in today's context, if someone would say, such and such a person, this name or this ministry is a false prophet. The first thing we should do is not, don't divide the church. Lah. How can you call people false prophet? You're so unloving. That should not be the first thing we say. To be fair, we should listen to the argument, weigh out the things, listen to the teaching and why this person has said, and then make a decision. Because give this ministry or this person the benefit of doubt why he or she wants to warn the church of a good thing. But if you immediately throw it out, then you are liable for whatever comes to you. Okay, I'm not saying that the person is correct, but always understand the purpose behind it. In the case of James, it was definitely for righteousness' sake that we will be pointed back to God, that the people of God will be kept in that right position, that we mustn't use these words for control, for manipulation, to save our own face, for our own personal rights, and for our own personal gain. I submit these to you, because these are just broad principles, and I hope it will help you, should you hear some of these things going around, and it does happen. So Jesus' warning is addressed to the church, the community of believers. But how about in society? In today's context, I believe Christians should be righteously angered when parties violate the sanctity and the dignity of men and women made in the image of God. You remember the first principle? We have to build from that same principle, the imago Dei. So when you look at someone with a pro-choice movement, abortion, we should be rightly angered by something like that in the society. The LGBT agenda, the humanistic type of rights that was once built upon Judeo-Christian principle of people made in the image of God has gone to an extreme that you have the right to be anything you want and to do whatever you want. So if you identify as a cat, we should just say meow to you. We should be concerned about those things. And especially if it is going to affect our next generation. We should be righteously angered by pornography, sex trade, sexual immorality, and we will talk about that in the next section. Uh, rape, prostitution, pedophilia, all these kind of stuff. We should be upset about these things. But, and I say this big but, we have to be careful how we respond. Because righteous anger must not result in unrighteous behavior. Can I say that again for us? Righteous anger must not result in unrighteous behavior. And so, this is not an easy one. I think the church is grappling with this and Perhaps we struggle with it from a personal point of view also. 
What do we do with society's slide of morality? Do we go and pick it? Do we go and shout? Do we bang doors down? Do we take a stand for Jesus in an obnoxious way? Now we all say no, but have we done it? Perhaps. We are talking about love, but people look at us as if we hate. And yet at the same time, how do we make a stand without being misunderstood? You see, these are all difficult issues that we have to grapple with. So we might have a cause to be angry, but a righteous anger must not result in unrighteous behavior. And we really need to have the heart of Jesus to really understand how to then respond. So having shared with you all these things, I think it's good to go to that final section that Jesus talks about in verse 23 to 26. In this point, I ask, what do you do then if you have caused offense through anger or through callous words? And we've all been there in varying degrees at different times. And please note that this is something that is within the church. Jesus says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Jesus uses two imageries to teach this lesson. The very first one is about worship. This guy is bringing a gift to the altar. Obviously, he's he's either giving an offering or he's doing a sacrifice as an act of worship. And he's in the process of doing it. But Jesus says, look, if you have offended someone, if you have been angry, you've said something, and you you know it, your brother has something against you, that's what it says. Okay, in other words, you are the guilty guy. You have been careless, you have been upset, and you let it slide. Jesus says, stop everything. Stop everything. Just leave the gift there. Don't worry, you'll still be there when you come back. Stop your worship. Stop your sacrifice. Stop your service. And go reconcile first. When I first read this, it's just so clear. You know, it's almost like, Lord, you you desire reconciliation more than worship? Think about this. I mean, here I am. Here I am to worship. Here I am to do all. Here I am to serve. Lord, I give you my heart. And God says, yeah, I know. Just drop everything first. Go reconcile. And I don't think it's so much that God doesn't want worship or God wants one more than the other. But I think that command or that advice is more for us because if we don't have reconciliation, we don't have worship. It more affects us than anything. We are bluffing ourselves. That's what God is saying. So don't kid yourself. And sometimes we think that, well, we can do this and we just forget about it. Lord, it's just between you and me. And God says, no, you, you can't worship in spirit and truth if you don't settle issues. You've offended someone. You've hurt someone made in the image of God. And you notice this is just so broad. It's just almost one-sided. What would we think about if we were to consider and act like this? What if the person won't forgive me? What if the person this? What if like that? What if I go and say something and then I get snuffed in my face? Jesus doesn't even address any of this. The point is, if it's your, in your part and your power to do that, then you do what you need to do. If it as much as depends on you, Romans says, right, live peaceably with one another. Remember, blessed are the peacemakers. Go make peace. Especially you are the one who caused 
and unpeace in the first place. And actually, you know it. So the first picture is about worship, about service, about sacrifice. And I think we must consider this. The Lord says, get things in order so that when you come and worship, that is worshiping in truth and in spirit. The second picture is a legal context. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. So here we see that a case and a complaint has already been made against you. You, you know. You know that something is not right. And you are fully aware the brother has something against you. This is what you need to do. Go and settle matters. So a few steps down here that Jesus gives, and I just added a few more points. Number one, agree that you were in the wrong. Oh man, that's tough, right? Agree that you were in the wrong. You can't reconcile anything with anyone if you don't first agree that there's something wrong. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, when? Quickly, hastily. Don't delay. Have you realized that the longer you wait, the worse it becomes? You're trying to sweep things under the carpet. It just gets bigger and bigger. Someone else gets more upset. Someone says something else. You hear someone say something else. And then you get upset and you get angry and you justify. And after a while, you don't know who really started the thing. Do it quickly. In Ephesians, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Husband and wife, please remember this. Solve things quickly before you say goodnight. So quickly, hastily, don't delay. That's the second thing. The third thing to note is that if you want to do this thing, then admission is going to require humility and submission. It's going to require humility. And that's, that's what Jesus is trying to remind all of us. In the first place, it probably was pride that triggered something. So don't let pride continue to be that barrier that holds you back. If you want to admit, it's going to require humility and submission. Let's go deeper a little bit more. But before you can even, are willing to, to Lord, okay, I, I'm going to humble myself. It's going to be tough. I might get slapped. I may be rejected. What's the value system? You have to value relationship over rights. You have to value relationship over rights. Right. If you're ready to, to chop and cut and, and you know, don't talk, you're, you're killing that relationship in that sense. And you will always protect your rights. It will always be how right you are, how you, you shouldn't be the one to, to go make amends. You shouldn't be the one to take the first step. It's crazier even if you're more senior in the family or more senior in the church. The higher up you are in your rank, the greater that climb down to humility. Am I correct? Because you think you don't have to do that. You have that position to buffer you. But if you value relationship more than rights, this is something that you will do. I tell you, I found myself a few times in this kind of a situation. You know, ministry can be stressful. Say amen. Right? And sometimes you don't get your way. You get a little bit upset. And then you get a little bit pushy. And your words get a little bit short. A little bit edgy. Yeah, and maybe a couple of you have been at that tail end, uh, receiving end of my irritation. 
Thankfully, there's no raka and fool word that comes. You know, but I, I may have said something that suggested that uh, a person was either ineffective or not efficient. You know, it's possible, right? And when I get back home, I was like, man, I feel like a clutch. It's stu- stupid, me. You understand, huh? Not the person. And I've had to apply some of these just to either send a text, to apologize, to make a call, you know. And maybe it was nothing, I don't know. But could we err on that side of perhaps it was something and that person could have been hurt. I, we would have killed a relationship. We might have killed a kingdom partnership even that the Lord might use. Do we value relationship more than our own rights? The fifth principle, the fifth point is that we must determine to seek resolution within that, that initial group or that small group first, within family, within body. Don't go outside of that to try to seek resolution. You understand that principle? If it's between two persons, then, then you try and do it within two persons. If it's within five, then five. Within, if it's a small group, then it's a small group. You know, don't immediately take it out to the public. Go small first. Seek to resolve and reconcile differences and offenses within that group. And this point about, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge... Now, this judge is no longer the council. No. This judge is the, is the Roman system now. You know. In other words, if Jesus was talking to the people of God, the Jews, he's saying, look, within ourselves, let's solve this. If you don't solve this, then this is going to go out into the Roman arena, or our parallel might be the world's system. Then they will judge you according to their system. Now, this is consistent with Scripture again because the church over and over again has been always asked to judge ourselves. Judgment must begin with the house of God. We should be able to resolve our differences and our offenses if, if, that big if, we would be following God's ways and God's system of love and forgiveness. Is that correct? You see, today we have a judicial system, thank God, that's largely based on Judeo-Christian principles. So we can trust in Singapore that kind of a system that would be consistent to a point with what we believe. But not every system is like that. Because they can judge versus God's law, which is what we stand for, against a pagan system. Now that's a big problem. What if they judge you against their religious system? You won't stand. You might get some parts of your body cut off. You follow? See, that injunction has always been, church, come on guys, God has left us so much. If we would follow His ways, we should be able to resolve this. Now don't get this wrong. The objective is to expose sin to deal with it, not to cover up. Because the church has not done a good job with this in, in many cultic, cultish type practices where the, the leaders want to keep it as a hush-hush, where ministers abuse children in Sunday school, you know, or 
they have adultery within the, the, the church system, they say, oh no, let's not, let's not report this to the police. Let's solve it within ourselves. But the objective was more to cover up rather than to expose sin. And at the end, justice was never served in the first place. So let's be careful about that. Because there are times we have to let the law take over. And finally, the sixth point here is that because if you want the courts to decide, then you'll be prepared for the outcome and the consequences. Remember, you're the one that's in the wrong. Huh? All right, Don't twist this case as if someone else is in the wrong. Remember, you are the one that caused that hurt, that caused the offense. Your brother has something against you. It is in, it's to your benefit that you use God's system of love and grace and humble yourself. But if you want a cause to decide, be prepared. You might pay the full price of the judgment. You will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. So you be careful. And in the end, whether you win or you lose the case, you know we've seen so many relationships. Whether you win or lose the case, the relationship dies. There's no reconciliation. Everybody loses. Only the lawyer wins. At the end, all you have is emotional trauma, anxiety, more bitterness, more hurt, and more anger. And this time, maybe not words anymore. You bring out a gun or you take a knife. You take it out on the entire family. You take it out on something else. You see, it's a loose-loose situation. That's why Jesus is saying, look, within the church, solve it. But it takes a certain level of maturity and discernment to be able to do that. Now, there's another application to understand this word judge. Because there's one righteous judge who is God. Now, you be careful if you're not going to come down from your high horse to admit and to seek reconciliation because the other party could have just said, okay, I, 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 I can't get anything out from this person. Fine, I will leave it to God, the righteous judge. Now, that's scarier. Because God, in His Word, says, vengeance is mine. Do not give place to wrath. Don't take this out by, for yourself, you know, or, or don't take it into your own hands. Leave it. If that person has offended you, upset you, caused you hurt, whatever, and th- th- he, he doesn't want to admit it at all, leave it to the judge. I think it's better to reconcile if I'm the one at fault. Because God will do, obviously, what is just. This is His law. His kingdom has law. Will God give opportunities, chances? Of course. That's His grace that is there. But if we do not respond to His goodness and His grace, then don't be upset when that law comes down and we suffer certain consequences. See, the key principle here is that if you go by the letter of the law, you will only see judgment and death. But if you go by the spirit of the law, you will see reconciliation and life. So let's bring this to a close. We've been talking about anger, getting angry, using callous words. So do you think we should rewrite the law and change it from thou shall not murder to thou shall not be angry? I mean, after all, 
that's what Jesus was, I suppose, trying to share with us. But before you're too quick to cancel your Bible and to replace those words, don't do it. Because if you do that, you're going to cause yourself more trouble and even more disappointment. You see, anger is something that is built into all of us. It's an emotion. You can't remove anger. And to try to do that is going to be crazy and silly. It's a futile attempt. It is not anger that we are actually that concerned with. It is the control or the lack of control of anger that we should be looking at. Alright, so if you're only looking at, oh, I, I cannot get angry, I cannot get angry, you are going to disappoint yourself over and over again. And you're going to be so frustrated because when, when ooh, you feel the temperature go up, you say, ah, oh, yeah, I fail again. That's not the point. The Bible describes outbursts of wrath. Outbursts of wrath as a work of the flesh. It is the uncontrolledness of anger. It is that outburst. Before anything, the first thing, the first words that come out of your mouth. That is the problem. Now read your Bible. Do you know that this phrase, outburst of wrath, is mentioned alongside idolatry and fornication? So angry people, be careful. Just because, you know, it is not a sexual sin doesn't mean that it is not important for us to take note of. And even more challenging, at the end it says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. New Testament, huh? Okay? New Testament. Outbursts of wrath. It's a work of the flesh. See, Jesus was trying to address all these things. Some of you are now thinking, okay, then I turn to anger management principle. Right? So I need to manage my anger. And now, do you know there are causes? You can actually sign up for an anger management course. Now, I looked up a website. These are some things that they will teach you. I do not need to prove myself in that situation. I can stay calm. As long as I can keep my cool, I'm in control of myself. The problem is you can't keep your cool. What other people say is their opinion. Opinions are not facts. I am the only person who can make myself angry or keep myself calm. These are anger management principles. Huh? So don't pay thousands of dollars for this. Huh? So into the ministry. <laughs> huh? Okay, I'm telling, this, I'm telling you this. I will take time out if I feel that I'm getting uptight. And during the time out, I will relax and allow things to slow down. Like my breathing. <laughs> hey, you don't laugh, huh? People sign up for meditation causes huh, to manage their anger, okay? I keep saying the church should charge for things like that. And you can go on. They're very helpful points. I'm not saying they don't necessarily work at times. But I want you to see the focus. The focus is on I can stop myself. I can help myself. I can control myself. You are still relying on your own strength. If you can do that, I always say, you don't need Holy Spirit. So don't get into this kind of a lies. You can't. That's why Jesus came. You don't need anger management. You need spirit management. Amen. 
We are to be led of the Spirit. It's not anger management. And the faster we realize that, the better it is that we will be willing to surrender and yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, if you are in Christ, then you are given the Holy Spirit. We are raised, seated with Him. What this means is that we have died with Christ. We are raised a new man. The Bible says we are to put off that old man and we are to put on this new man as that new creation. And Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. Put it off. It's, it's with the old man. It's, it's not you anymore. You understand? You've got to stop saying, but I'm only human. That's a very dangerous lie for all of us. The more you proclaim it upon yourself, the more you go into all creation. Stop saying, but I'm only human. I know we are. But what you really are saying is that I can't get rid of this old man. You don't have to get rid of this old man. He's dead. That's the truth we've got to get into. Colossians 3 verse 8, same thing. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Put off the old man. It's dead. I've never seen a dead man get angry. Aircon's too cold. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And if you are that new creation, in Romans it says, now you present your members. Now, members doesn't mean church members, huh? Now you present your members of this body, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your tongue, as instruments of righteousness. You obey the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. James says this, right? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. We should add in one more line here. Um, The Amplified Version um, 21st century version. Slow to text. <laughs> huh? Slow to WhatsApp. Slow to hit the enter button. Slow to wrath. Because, verse 20, the wrath of men does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, members of righteousness, that's why we instruments of righteousness. And so the next time you, you, you feel this temperature go up, Oh, and his word's going to come up. Before you say anything, pray in the Spirit. Let the Lord take control of the tongue, amen. Before you curse anybody, before you scold anybody, when you're thinking it, convert from flesh mode to spirit mode. So that Lord, in my weakness, I don't know what to say. Whatever you say in the Spirit must obviously be a blessing. Amen. (laughs) And along the way, of course, as we struggle with this, be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the fruit, right? In Galatians chapter 5. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's going to take a lot to draw that one word from you. Long, long suffering. The Lord is slow to anger, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. 
Do you struggle with anger? Have you suffered the consequences of even sometimes the danger or the outburst of anger? I believe so. Have we been the cause of it? Yeah. So let's remember every person created in the image of God. Remember that. Careless words, be careful, it can lead to dangerous behaviors and actions. Righteous anger must not result in unrighteous behavior. Reconciliation and restoration will enable us in our own worship and our service to God. As a people of God, always make restoration, not retaliation, the goal. Don't try anger management. You go for spirit management. Amen? And finally, even if you have been wrongly treated yourself, leave God to be the ultimate judge. Leave room for Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your words. Lord, it's so easy just to say, Lord, we have not murdered anyone. We have not hurt any person physically. But Lord, You know our hearts. You know we all struggle with the control or the lack of control of anger. And Lord, You know that at points, our words would have hurt some people. Maybe it's our spouse, our children, our church friends, our church leaders. Lord, this evening, we yield to spirit management. We ask your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us because we can't do it by our own willpower. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I pray that from this point forth, that a word's that leave our mouth will always be a source of blessing, of encouragement, and of reconciliation. Grant us that grace, O oh Lord, and may we bring glory and praise to your name. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.